0: This is a Colored Pencil Podcast, session number 135. Welcome to Sharpened Artist, a Colored Pencil Podcast, where we discuss in detail all things in and around colored pencils and the colored pencil artist. And now your hosts... Lisa Clow and John Middick. Hello, my name is John Middick of sharpenedartist.com, and I'm joined as usual by my co host, Lisa Clow of Lockery Fine Art. Lisa, how are you today?
1: I'm good. How are you doing?
0: I am doing never better, as always. So, Lisa, what are we talking about today? We're
1: answering a few questions from some of our listeners. Our first question comes from Eric, who writes, I have a question regarding colored pencil. Fitting, given that this is the Colored Pencil Podcast. I have been studying using color and art for about two to three years. I am a little used to working in colored pencil, but taking an approach to colored pencil painting. I wonder how you could avoid that grainy-gritty look that you so often hate when it comes to colored pencil and using odorless mineral spirits. Thanks a lot. So for me, this comes down to a few things. One could be your paper. If you're using paper that has too much tooth, you're really going to be fighting trying not to have that grainy gritty look. But if you're using a smooth paper, something like Stonehenge Fabriano Artistico, I like the back smooth side of Canson Me Tens. I like that one. If you're using something like that you're still having the grainy gritty look, it comes down to a couple of things. First, you're probably pushing too hard with your pencil, so you're damaging the tooth which doesn't allow you to get enough layers to where you can smooth out that look. The second cause for that is often that your pencil is not sharp enough. If you let your pencil start to dull, it gets to where the lead only catches the top tooth of the paper. It doesn't really get into all those little nooks and crannies. And so those nooks and crannies, once you blend out with odorless mineral spirits, it doesn't get quite as much pigment into them. And so you end up with this very grainy, gritty look. If you're pushing too hard... Because you end up damaging the tooth of the paper, you can't add additional layers, meaning you can't blend that out. You can't keep layering until you get rid of that grainy, gritty look. If you start off with a light hand with a sharp pencil, you should not have that problem.
0: Yeah, I don't have a whole lot else to add to that. I think that's right on target with what I would probably recommend as well. But the only thing is I notice with beginners, usually what happens is is just what you pointed out there, Lisa, is that. For one, I think the, probably the biggest thing that I've seen is using a dull pencil. And then, and then secondly, of course, like you mentioned, they're pushing way too hard too early on. Uh, but using that sharp pencil, that, that is a really big deal in learning how to use a sharp pencil, especially if you're not used to color pencil and to be very delicate with it. That. You know, It's sort of counterintuitive uh, at first when you start using colored pencil. You think sometimes early on that, oh, if I just use a dull pencil and I have a light hand that I'm going to fill in the tooth. No, the exact opposite with regard to the point. It needs to be very, very sharp, and then you use a light hand with that, and you're going to fill in everything. And you just have to keep in mind also, especially if you're new to colored pencil, it's a very, very slow medium if you're using paper primarily. And so just have to keep that in mind. And so let's talk though for a moment, Lisa, about using sanded paper. And that's something that I guess Lisa and I both have done, started doing more recently, is using sanded paper. And that can speed things up quite a bit. And now when you're doing that, you're not going to be able to, you know, use the same exact techniques. You have to modify your technique just a little bit and the point of the pencil Especially early on, it does not have to be as sharp. It doesn't have to have that real, real long point. you get down to the end, and if you're, depending on the grit of the sanded paper that you're using, if it's a real fine grit, then you can add a lot of details in later on, even on top of the sanded paper. But it, it is an entirely different type of, it feels like a different type of medium when you start using sanded paper. And then some of the products. I'm going to go ahead and let you talk about this, Lisa, because you're telling me that there's a a brush and pencil group now that Aliona has uh, recently started. So that's pretty exciting.
1: When I use sanded paper, I don't use it. Just with odorless mineral spirits and colored pencil, I always use it with my powder blender. Now, you can use odorless mineral spirits with that, but I'm always blending with powder blender, so I can be very loose, very sloppy. I'm holding the pencil to the side, so I get more surface area coverage just very quickly. Uh, I I definitely use sanded paper a bit differently than how John typically does, but it's very easy to avoid. As long as you're not pushing hard, you can use otherwise sloppy methods with powder blender on sanded paper and still get a very, very smooth look. Now, John mentioned the brush and pencil group over on Facebook. Aliona Nicholson, who is the inventor of the brush and pencil products, the powder blender, titanium white touch-up mixture, all of those products that you hear me rave about all the time, she put together a new group that just focuses on those products. So you can share your artwork you've created with them. You can get tips, techniques, all kinds of stuff there, advice. And because the person who actually invented the product is there answering your questions, I think it's just such a great group to join. If you are even considering using the powder blender products or the brush and pencil products, blending with powder blender, you definitely, I would recommend joining this group and we'll put a link to it in our show notes, but definitely check that out. If you're on Facebook, it's a really, really good group to join in on.
0: Yeah, it's called the Brush and Pencil Art Group, uh, if you're searching for it on Facebook. But again, we'll have it in the show notes. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. Now, well, Lisa, you mentioned the differences in – you said there's a difference in what how we usually work on sanded paper. Are you talking well, about the you, grit or – No,
1: is it? don't you typically – or not typically, but I know that you've done pieces in sand, on sanded paper without powder blender and got really good results. Oh, yeah, yeah, So yeah. You, you're not yeah, always No,
0: using I powder. do – not always, no. But, you know, I I do like using powder blender and it does speed things up, especially on your backgrounds and things like that. Yeah. So,
1: yeah. If you want to work is. large, that is such yeah. a great way to go.
0: Yeah. The nice thing about sanded paper is it just opens up a whole new world of possibilities with colored pencil because there's so many other things that you can do. And you don't have to, like you alluded to there, you don't have to be as regimented in, you know, making this exact fade from a single color fade to the the white of the paper, that kind of thing. You can be a little more loose and a little more sloppy with some of your pencil strokes early on even because – uh, it's all going to be covered up. The, just the coverage that you get on there is so much. I, I hate to use the word better. It's just so much different, so much more different than what you get on paper. Yeah, and you just have to try it and see what I you think about like
1: it. Honestly. I didn't either. I, when, I really didn't. Yeah, when I wanted to try powder blender, but when she said sanded paper, I was like, ooh. Yeah. No, I don't think that's going to be for me. Oh, I love it now. I mean, I still like working on my Fabriano Artistico and on Stonehenge. I just, I like yeah. variety, but right. I did not expect to like sanded paper as much as I do. And the only two that I've used so far is UART 500 and Fisher 400. And I've been very, very happy with both of those.
0: Yeah, I've tested on that pastel mat, um, but I didn't really like it all that well. Uh, not enough to even finish a, a complete oh, really? project on it. That's yeah, I you just hear it I didn't like it. it. Some it. people do like it, but I, I didn't care for it. But
1: what was the difference?
0: It was so grainy. It was just like, I, I couldn't hardly get any detail. and. Oh, yeah. Um, and I, I, I like the little tiny details, and that's the reason why I like about an 800 grit on that UART paper. I really like that particular grit, or a 600 isn't bad.
1: I may have to try those.
0: Yeah. But, yeah, you know, start on paper for a little bit there, Eric, and see what you think. But don't rule out using sanded paper. Give it a shot and see what you think about it. So our next question, Jim asks, should I be using the smoother side of Stonehenge? Somehow I've gotten the impression that I should use the toothier side. The smoother side, though, takes detail better. So, you know, it's a preference. You can use whichever side that you would like to, Jim. But the thing about that is, is that, and I think Lisa and I have talked about this maybe a little bit. In the past, but if you buy the large sheets, the single sheets of Stonehenge that you can get at your art store, you can order online, Dick Blick or wherever, then you're going to get a different finish on that Stonehenge paper made by Legion, and we'll put link that up in the show notes, Then you will if you buy it in the pads. Now, in the pads also, you have... I was going to say you can buy like a multi pad pack and things like that, but it 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 is different most of the time I've noticed in the pad it feels more like maybe like a vellum kind of finish or something like that. Now I have had pads though where and it, the larger pads I'm trying to remember the dimension I don't recall at the moment, but it, it seemed like it was a 14 by something. It seemed like that those were very close to what I've got in the single sheets before as well. But there is some inconsistency. It does seem like with some of the pads, and especially when you get the colored papers of Stonehenge in the pad, those seem to have. I, I don't know what the reason would be for this, but it, it seems like they, you know, they put a different finish on the paper, and so maybe something with the drying process, maybe the, the 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 way it's running through a different press. I don't know. I'm not sure what they're doing, but there is a noticeable difference, and I think most people that use Stonehenge have noticed that difference. So the thing about detail and using a smoother side versus a more toothy side is you have to figure out, you know, what your piece is going to call for. And if it's something that you feel like you're going to need a lot of layers or you just enjoy working that way and you like to build up a whole lot of layers, then I would definitely recommend using the toothier side of the paper. If it's something, though, where you want to get very tiny, smaller details and you want to finish maybe a little quicker than usual, then you know the smoother side may be the way to go. So you can you know, kind of play with, play around with it and figure out, you know, what is going to work best with the way that you work.
1: The only way you're really going to know is just by trying different things. Yeah. One person's answer is not going to be your, necessarily your answer. You just have to try different things and see which way you prefer better. That's why, you, and you don't just throwing this out there, because I see this happen frighteningly too often. People who will make these attempts or the, these trials to see which side they like better or which type of paper, I'm going to try a new medium, try a new thing on a commission don't try the try yeah, the new don't, things, do but don't try them on a commission right, what's right. What is it's tried and true and works for you if you're taking a commission but other than that for your own artwork experiment with different things you're not yeah. going to know what you like better if you don't try different things
0: yeah and always 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 test use a test sheet of paper you know sacrifice a sheet of paper or cut down you know a smaller test sheet of paper that you're going to test on the same type of paper that you're using on your project that's the only way to do it in colored pencils I mean, because, you know, there's just it, it, there's just too much time that we'll invest in working on a project and we can't erase once we've gone so far in that project. So yeah, you always want to test some of these combinations that you're trying with the techniques that you're using.
1: It always makes me cringe when somebody tells me or they'll ask a question. And I'm like, well, you need to experiment and see which one works for you. And they'll tell me, yeah. well, I can't. This needs to be perfect because it's yeah. for such and such person. <laughs> it's an important project. Why are you experimenting <laughs> on an important right. Why would you – what are you
0: thinking? Or they're like, I, I just did this. It was turning out so well. And then I sprayed it with this. And uh-huh. now what do yes. I do? Like. <laughs> Why did you do that? What did, what happened on your test paper when you did that? Like, oh, I didn't do that. Yeah, yeah. got to do that. You've got to do that.
1: Yeah, and you should always, I mean, through your entire life, always be experimenting. It's not that you should ever stop experimenting, but when mm-hmm. it's something serious, go with what's tried and true for right, you. What, right. what you, what gives you the results you can expect or anticipate. But other than that, when you're creating your own work, definitely try different things to see what works best for you. So our next question comes from Rachel. She says that I am posting a question to everyone that is currently or has been a full-time artist. What advice do you have for someone looking to transition from working full-time into being a full-time artist? What do you wish you'd have done differently? to become a full-time artist sooner. I am in my early 20s, currently working an entry-level office job where I only really make enough to pay my bills, and I'm trying to figure out the best way to start making this transition. So any advice would be greatly appreciated.
0: You know what, Lisa, you're more qualified to answer this, but I'm, I'm going to say something here about that because I, I'm going to tell you from the side where uh, you are right now, and then Lisa, you can answer it more uh, in more detail with what she's really asking. But I'm telling you that that is something I want to do is transition into doing art full time. Okay, now, with that being said, you know, I have a regular day job. I have a full time uh, job. And so you're asking what you can do right now to trans transition over into that. You can start doing just as much as you can right now with the limited time and resources that you have to ramp yourself up for that day. And you don't know when that'll happen maybe your job will be outsourced you know maybe maybe it'll go away you know maybe you'll be involuntarily dismissed from your position that kind of thing and when that happens if you start working right now in all these different areas that you can think of that will help generate revenue into your art business then you'll set yourself self up in a in a spot where you're in a more attractive position to make that transition and so you want to Uh, Try to work as hard as you can right now with as much time as you have left over after, you know, your job and your family and and whatnot. But, yeah, and then you want to diversify your income. Now, Lisa, I'll let you talk about this because you actually did this a few years ago.
1: And the easiest way or some of the best advice I can give you is things that I would have done differently to get to this point sooner. Because it took me 20 years to get to the point where I'm more financially stable where you know I'm not stressing about paying my bills it that was a long time coming so the things that I would have done differently now social media wasn't a thing when I first started so oh I just aged myself didn't I um, I mean I'm way before even myspace so that wasn't an option so I started listing stuff for sale on what's
0: myspace
1: <laughs> but I was able to actually back then sell a decent amount on eBay and the thing that I liked about eBay is that now in this changed I stopped listing on eBay because they changed it to where the listing fees were too high. Well, they've changed it back. Several years ago, they went back so that you can actually list up to, I want to say it's something like 50 listings a month. Hmm. If it's an auction style listing, you can include a buy it now for free. It doesn't cost you anything but time. That is something that you can actually start building a fan base by listing stuff. If nothing else, you can basically be advertising because I put a watermark on all of my work, copyright lawcree.com. If someone wants to go look up lawcree.com, that's on the watermark of the images. Now, you're not supposed to link people back to the website. It it can violate terms of services depending on several factors, which I won't go into right now. You'll want to look into that. But I mean, this is a good way. It's a free way, basically, to get your work out there. So step one, I would say get on to eBay. And that is something that I started early on. And that was very successful for me in the beginning before stuff changed with eBay, which again, it's too long to to bore everyone with. But eBay right now is something I would do. The next is just build your social media following. Now, here's the thing with social media. When I started with just Facebook or even Instagram and Twitter, I couldn't really grow them Until YouTube. YouTube is the thing that made all the difference in the world with me because it let people get to know me. It got, they got to know my art, the searchability, how easily it is for someone to discover you on, on YouTube versus Facebook because they're not searching Facebook. You don't typically go on Facebook and search. I want to see an artist who draws paintings of Italian greyhounds. It's not really something someone's searching for. They might on YouTube. Someone may want to just see videos of Italian greyhounds and then they come across my video painting an Italian greyhound and think, Oh, I'd like to have my Italian Greyhound painted by this person and they may contact me from that. So that's a really big one and something I wish I would have done very, very early on. I've only been doing YouTube for what five years, almost six years, I think coming up on six years, not that long. And I really wish I had started that earlier, because that's you're just so it's so much easier for people to find you through YouTube than anywhere else. Now, you still want to build your social media, but you're going to do that by letting people on YouTube know, you know, if you want to follow my my newest work, keep up to date with whatever, then send them over to your other social media platforms. But that's how I grew those. You can start having giveaways on your Facebook page or Instagram or or wherever, Make sure you read the terms of service. They're very, very specific on what you can and can't do and what needs to be included for a giveaway. But that helped me to grow a following. And usually when I would have a giveaway, I'd get a commission out of it. Someone somewhere would think, well, I want to have my dog painted too. And so they would hire me. This is back when I used to take commissions. That was a good way for me to get additional income. Teaching. That it was a big one, and that was when I did start right off the bat, and I'm so grateful for it. eBay and teaching. Are, are were my two main sources of income when I first went into art full time. I also was working in an office. I actually worked at an animal hospital in the front office, and. I went from that to just focusing on teaching. Now, I started teaching before I stopped working at the animal hospital. I think that that's important. You don't want to just quit one and start the other. You want to have overlap there so you can still pay your bills. You're not stressing about that. You can still buy your supplies because it's going to take time for you to build that following. Check your local art supply stores. I taught out of Michael's and Hobby Lobby. Both were really good places for me to teach out of, both for different reasons. Those are things you can do if you're able to teach, at, if there's a workshop that allows other teachers to come in you know do do some searching locally to see what's available to you get your work into any local art galleries you can you can try that so i and now i don't know if you're picking up on this right now or not but notice how many different sources of income i mentioned Mm -hmm. so different sources to connect with people there's no one single thing i might make a hundred dollars a month well not now i used to be at a small art gallery when i first started out in southern california i might make a hundred dollars a month selling one painting there That's obviously not going to pay my bills. But when you add that plus money from my teaching, plus money from what might sell on eBay, when they all come together, that was able to, that, that allowed me to work full time and make a living as an artist. You have to have lots and lots of different sources. But my biggest regret looking back is that I didn't start YouTube earlier. And even when I did start YouTube, I wish that I would have started teaching. I mean, I've been teaching since 1999. I had plenty of experience teaching but I was afraid you know people are going to be too critical they're going to tell me that I'm teaching wrong that you know you get all these ideas in your head because there is so much negativity that people post on on YouTube it really wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be yeah I get a few comments here and there of people who are just absolute jerks. But um, I, I had to filter myself there. Some of those comments are pretty harsh. But the majority of people are grateful that you're teaching them how to paint something they didn't know how to do or how to draw something they didn't know how to draw. And I really wish I would have started teaching on YouTube earlier, not just posting videos, but also teaching. I think that that would have gotten me to where I am now way, way earlier. I could have saved many, many years of, oh my gosh, how am I buying groceries this week if I would have started these things sooner on. But having more multiple sources of income is huge. The next thing that I would say is an absolute must, and this is one that I did early on, but it was really terrible looking because it was harder to build websites back then, but have a website. Have a website that has your gallery, has contact information, has your about page. It needs to have any paintings you have available for sale along with the price. I can't stress that part enough because if you're trying to make a living, you need people to know, hey, this is the price of that item. If they have to email you to ask for the price or contact you for the price, they're probably not going to. They're going to assume it's too expensive, even if it's not. So make sure you have the price of your artwork on there and really push any classes. If you start teaching, which I do recommend, if you really want to go full time with art, it's a great way to supplement the sales of paintings. But plus it's a lot of fun. I love teaching. But if you can start teaching, you can have a page about that on your website. And that's one thing I wish I would have done earlier on on my website is really push the teaching side of it. You know, show photos of your students if they'll allow you to take photos of them. Show how much fun the people are having in the class. Show video if you've got that. I mean, there's a lot of things marketing-wise that you can do. The other tip I have for you that wasn't available to me back then but is definitely now, there is so much free marketing advice that you can find online that you can apply. You don't have to find one for artists, any marketing, and apply it to your art business. So find out how to market any classes you're teaching. Market your artwork. Market your prints. Figure out how to market those things. Really research that. And that is something I had no idea. When I went into this, I didn't know anything about marketing, about making a brand. I had no clue. That didn't come until well several years after I started YouTube, I started learning about that. But it's a really big and very important thing to learn and start focusing on if you are serious about becoming a full-time artist. Learn branding, learn marketing, and learn to do it well. I have to laugh. There's just kind of a side story. I was watching different, a, a question got brought up on, and on Facebook about using, I, I won't go into details, um, but there was a question about someone brought up branding and they were trying to give advice to the other, to the other artists about branding. And the information was so, um, I I was kind of scratching my head going, you don't understand branding at all. That's not what a brand is. Learn branding from professional people who actually do branding, look at blogs, look at resources like that, because I've seen a lot of advice about branding from, from artists that were questionable at best.
0: (laughs) Funny. Yeah. You know, I I can't say enough about branding. I mean, branding is your business and the front face of your business is your website. And so that is very critical. And here's, you know, here's the good news, Rachel, especially if you're in just an entry level office job right now, this is a good time to be thinking about how you're going to make money with this business and position yourself very early on to make money and and get all these income streams in, you know, have them at least in mind and be working towards this. But yeah, the marketing side and the branding is extremely important. But the thing is, it's really important to do this right now in your early 20s and when you don't have a high paying job and when, you know, possibly you're not paying a mortgage or starting a family or something like that, because it gets harder and harder yes. to do that. And so do it as early as possible. And I just want to congratulate you and and just tell you that, you know, I'm kind of proud of you because, and anyone like Rachel out there thinking about doing this, because that's awesome that, you know, you're thinking about this and you know what you want to do right now. Work towards it. Turn that motivation into action and actually do some of those things, and then write us back and tell us about it because I'd love to hear about that.
1: And one of the things that you're going to find to that, that's really good about this, too. I mean, when I I was working at the animal hospital, I was making eight dollars an hour. So jumping in, I didn't need to make that much in art to make up for what I was doing. You know, I wasn't making fifty thousand a year.
0: Yeah, you might be able to replace your income if you know if you enjoy teaching and if it's something you feel like you can do. If you can simplify things and explain things well it might be something that you can do then and just replace that income for a while or at least get pretty close to replacing it and it might be your jumping off point where you can you know you can do this so yeah keep that in mind and other you know maybe commissions or some other you know revenue stream
1: lots of revenue streams the more the better
0: yeah, yeah, definitely. And what you're going to find is this, that you're going to have a much more stable income than anybody working a nine-to-five because they're getting their paycheck from one single source, one employer. And if anybody tells you that, no, they've got a secure job, then they're they're kind of just – joking themselves or they're kind of fooling themselves because nobody has a secure job that gets their income from one source. So yeah, this is smart to be able to, and I, I, I know I've said this before, but We're so fortunate in this particular epoch of time that we live in as creatives and artists to be able to do this and to take advantage of the social media and all the ways that we're able to reach an audience that we've never had access to in the past without some huge barrier to entry. Often it was money and people. And now all those things have been crumbled. They're all broken down and you have direct access to your audience. So this is awesome. And I love this question, Lisa. I think that there are, there's probably going to be more and more artists who are going to see that, you know, this is possible. There is a clear path that I can take and become a full-time artist. So I love this. So maybe you have a question for us. You can tell us what that is by filling out a form over there at sharpenedartist.com slash Q&A. And you can always email us, podcast at sharpenedartist.com. Reach out to us on Twitter, Lisa's at Lockery. I'm at sharpenedartist. And this is a weekly show, so we'll talk to you again next Monday.
1: Bye. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. All the show notes can be found at
0: www.sharpenedartist.com.